everyone. I'm Rosie Ward, and this is Show Up as a Leader. I so, so loved my conversation with Jamie Tates. She is a dynamo leader, a kick-ass human being, and she is the CEO of Keystone Group International and just released her first book, You Are Here, Kick-Ass Inspiration for Navigating Your Journey to Success. She is also a podcast host and a thought leader, and really in every one of these roles, she's helped people reach their potential. She helps them get unstuck. She isn't afraid to have really get real conversations about the things that limit us and keep us from achieving success. And her book and our conversation is just full of such helpful reminders and nuggets and wisdom. And she's so very real. And we talk about, you know, adjusting our lens and reframing things and what does it take to be courageous and brave and how no is actually a complete sentence and just how we can pay attention to who matters and what matters rather than getting stuck and kind of hustling for our worth and worrying what people think about us and thinking we have to do it all. I think you are going to walk away from this conversation with so much inspiration, so much appreciation for your own humanity and the normalness that we all experience and some helpful next steps to get out of your own way. Okay, well, Jamie, my sister from another mister, I'm so <laughs> excited to have you today and have this conversation. I love that I'm just like, I get to talk to Rosie today. Oh, there's going to be other people listening, so I should probably <laughs> behave, but I'm just looking forward to talking no, to you. No, behaving is underrated. No, 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 no. We don't need to behave. <laughs> so as, as people will see in the show notes, like I'm so excited when you told me that you were writing your book because like writing a book is such a big deal and it is now in pre-order. So it is awesome. I love the title. You are here. Kick-ass inspiration for navigating your journey to success. So A, congrats. So excited for you. And so B, can you just start by telling like, why? Like what, what prompted you to write this book? Like why would I go through two years of pain of waiting to deliver this baby that never, (laughs) exactly, exactly. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's just really a need to get um, my story out and normalize the crap that we all feel along the journey. You know, I have my own podcast. I started it three years ago and I started it because people were telling me like, when I get together for coffee with you, you just help me think about things from a different perspective. Right. And, and you've been there and you've done it. And that's why I started the podcast is to share those stories of other leaders Well, the book is just an extension of that to me. It's just a way that I can have a positive impact and a positive ripple when people are struggling, right? Or when they're stuck on something, you know, a big mantra for me for years has been stuck is a great place to be. And that's really how I start the book, because when you're stuck, you have a catalyst for change, Mm, yet change mm -hmm. is still hard. So when you hit those roadblocks, right, how do you just shift your perspective a little bit to get through them? And so my goal with the book was all the lessons that I still deal with. So just to be clear, I don't have this all figured out, like (laughs) fill a reference manual for me, right? And as I was writing it, I was like, duh, like, yes, remember that with that thing you're dealing with over here, right? It was like a coaching for myself. And that was really the goal is to help normalize those feelings, those frustrations, those, you know, where we think we've done something wrong because it's hard. And it's supposed to be hard, right? It's not all supposed to be easy. 
Yeah, for sure. Well, and I love it. I will say that I I was so glad I got an advanced copy that I could read it. And You're I was sitting super here and special. <laughs> yeah. And it's highlighted and tabbed and stuff. But I, I was reading this and I was like, this is like a reminder manual. And you can say it's like nothing in here like is new, but yeah. it's concise and it's succinct. And it really is like it's like that cheat sheet reminder manual of, oh yeah, even as I was going through, I'm like, Yep. I got to remind myself of that. Oh, I got to remind myself of that. And I think it's, yeah, I, I looked at it as it's just this nice, succinct reminder of our own humanity, where we get in our own way. And one of the things to piggyback on what you said, you wrote this in your book, you said, I want to help normalize the reality that success isn't a direct line or a clear path for anybody. At some point, everyone deals with the feeling that we are not doing enough, not living up to our true potential or not bringing our strengths to bear each day. I want to normalize all the stuff that accompanies the confusion and joy of building our personal paths through life, the feelings, the fits and starts and the 180 degree changes. Right. And, and I love that because obviously with the work I do, I also try to normalize that because I, I think when we're in that space, we feel like we're on an island or we feel like we're alone and we we're forget. the only ones that have ever dealt with this. There's yeah. something wrong with us. Yeah. And, and I spent many years, right. And I talk about this in the book, feeling broken. Yeah. I was too emotional. I was too this. I was too that. I couldn't figure this out. And I really like therapy level, like what the hell is wrong with me? And then it was just like, as I get older and wiser, right. You realize you're like, you have the same issue. We all connect on some of these same things. And I love that you said the reference manual, because the first thing I told the publisher when we were talking about this book is I literally want this to be a reference manual throughout all of the growth and plateau throughout your entire life. Because I don't believe we just have midlife crisis. We have a midlife crisis. I believe in the twenties, we have a, a paradigm shift or a crisis, call it whatever you want in your thirties. You have it maybe multiple times. We don't just have one. And I want this book to be something you go back to and go, oh my gosh, up. Oh, that's what I need. I, I'm getting ready to be ready. I need to just get through and move and take an action. And I want you to just be able to read that truth. If yeah. that's the thing that's getting you stuck right now. Right. So I do want it to be something people can go back to. Well, and I love that. And you have it organized that way. Right. I mean, right. yeah. So if you're like, oh, I'm stuck in this one area, like I need to adjust my lens or I need to get my head in the game or whatever. So it is like you could go to that section or that lesson and, and just to kind of get a, get a refresh. So I, I love it. Cause I found myself, like, even as I was reading, I'm like, oh yeah, good reminder, Rosie. Oh yeah, good reminder, Rosie. And I do this crap all the time, you know? So it's, right. it's yeah, I love it. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go through all of them, but I do, I, I, I highlighted a few that I wanted to talk okay. to you about. Good. Um, so one of your headings is you talk about adjusting your lens and, mm-hmm. and I do this a lot, right? It's the filter. It's how we see things like right. we've got to, we've got to do this. And, and I love that you quote Brene Brown in there and you, you call it listening to the rumble, right? That, that inner mm-hmm. voice. So I have to ask you this question because in the section about listening to the rumble, first of all, I'm such a music freak and music, you know, right. geek. And you said you were on a run and you, a song came on that stopped you dead in your tracks and you sat on a curb and you had to rumble. I am dying to know what that song was. Cause you don't say it in the book. <laughs> I don't say it in the book on purpose because I'm like, people are going to laugh at me. Um, it's like, this is just so funny. I'm like, it's, it's always the cheesy songs. Yeah, of course right? it is. It always so is not, not joking. It was the, 
I can't believe I purposely didn't put it in the book. My publisher was like, you should put that in the book. I'm like, no, it was the wind beneath my wings. My back. Oh, of course it is. So ridiculous. If you guys, so my family is going to die. Like Ray is hearing this. So if you look at my Spotify, it is um, literally rap country, Bette Midler, like sought Celine Dion. And like, I have the most everything. But it's, yep. it's all about the day. So I have different playlists yep. because I'm like, do I need to like be like, you know, like, like strength training kind of music or do I need the, like, I need to zone out right now. Yeah. And it was that song. It also is a family kind of reminds me, right. Family stuff. And like some of the older generations of my family and things like that, but it's this, it's the stupid stuff. Like yeah. I hear stories from people all the time where they're like, someone said something or mentioned something that brought up a memory. And it wasn't even an emotional thing we were talking about. And it like snaps you back Yeah, right, to that. Oh yeah. So music to- totally has a way of doing that. As an aside, one of my previous episodes, I interviewed Brian Moore, who's the CEO of Anthem. And they actually use songs mm-hmm. to create these moment intro, like bring you back to your life and then use it as a team building thing. So right. 100% get that. Yeah. I hear a song. And I'm like, Ooh, like it brings me back to a certain point. So 100%. And I can tell you, I have wind beneath my wings somewhere on my playlist too. Cause I have a history with that song too. Right. Like, whatever. It's, it's, yeah. it's those songs that kind of bring up memory. Like I, my husband, he has this weird like smell thing. Like we'll be somewhere and he's like, God, this just reminds me of summers at my grandma. And I'm like, for real? Like, but it's, it, for all of us, it's different things, but he can like vividly go back there. So anyway, that's the way yeah. he uses Oh my God. Because yeah, I was like, I wrote down, I'm like, I am dying to ask right. her. I have to know what the song was. So there you go, everybody. Mystery solved when you read it. <laughs> right. Well, if it's going to stop you dead in your tracks, it's got to be something that's emotional. probably cheesy or right. inspirational or emotional. Right. I mean, come on, you know, right. right. Okay. I love it. Okay. Well, so whew, mystery solved. You better now. <laughs> I love that. Right. And so then you talk about, so you have this moment with wind beneath my wings and you know, you, oh my gosh, you have this rumble. Um, and, and I love it because what you talk about in that whole section, it, it's, and I think we don't do this enough, right? We are going, 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 going. Right. And if, and I know I'm like this, like if I can just do, 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 right. I don't have to feel right. And when you stop and are still all of a sudden it's like, whoosh, like whether it's anxiety or whether it's right. whatever, and it's a vulnerable place to be. But the other thing that I appreciate, and I will tell you that literally I was reading your book and I was sitting on my patio because it was a nice afternoon. And I was like, oh, I'm going to have some vitamin D while I read this. And I don't remember if it was that section or not, but all of a sudden, like I started to have ideas for like a new workshop and whatnot. And so I put your book down and I sat and I started doing notes on my phone before it left my brain. And I said to my husband, I said, you know, I forgot that I am not building in that downtime or that reflection time. And that's where all of my ideas come from. That's where my podcast idea came in. That's where book ideas, that's where workshops. And that's where like my, like, oh, I have an idea for whatever it might be. And so, and so it just was, for me, it was a great reminder. And while I was reading it, I was like, for whatever reason, something popped in my head and I was like, Ooh, I got to, I know I have to read this for Jamie's podcast, but I got to set it aside. I got to, I got to do this. And then I went back to it. And so you know, like you said, your, our great ideas might come in the shower or we're there, or if we go for a drive and if we don't give ourselves that space to be right, it it doesn't happen. Right. And that's where music or other things, it almost like a meditative state, right. For people who always ask me, like I meditate, I do traditional quiet meditation. Um, but I also meditate, like when I drive, 
I don't ever listen to like the radio. I listen to binaural music. If anybody's ever heard of that, right. Where it's actually fluctuating from one ear to the right where the speakers fluctuate because I have ideas that like actually brings things up for me. So music can do a lot in that day, that song. I mean, again, it's the song, but it's not the song. It was more around the like realization that holy crap, like I'm not living my legacy. I know I'm not right. It was that moment and, and more around like, who am I lifting up? What am I doing for me? Right. So the song could be a rap song and you could still have that moment. Yeah. Right. But, yeah. but most people don't do what you did. Yeah. They don't stop. Yeah. Yeah. And it, what is funny is I almost didn't because all what happened was I was reading and then an idea of a title came in my head and I was like, Oh, okay. Well, I'll remember that. And then all of a sudden other things started coming to my head and I was like, Oh, if I don't get this down, it's gone. And so I was like, Jamie, I'm putting you on pause. <laughs> I, I do this every night. Like my husband will be falling asleep and he'll see the glow of my phone come back on. I'm like, I just got to send myself this note because otherwise there's no way I will remember this in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it was a great idea. I did that once where I finally figured out the voice, um, memo thing on my phone and I was driving and I had to pull over and turn it off because it was attached to Bluetooth and it wasn't going to pick it up. And I just did like a voice vomit on, and of course it's not, it's not, you know, spelled right or anything like that, but oh my gosh, it was super, super helpful. It was for like a little video snippet I needed to record. And I was like, Whoo, it just came to me. And I was like, I have to get this out before I lose it. I wrote parts of this book on runs. So I would wear my headphones, right? And the speaker and the voice, and it would come out all jumbled, but I would have, cause I'm an, I'm an active, like when I, I do activity and I run a specific trail where I don't have to worry about traffic. And I, the truths and the chapters, I was like, I got to talk about this. I got to talk about this. So I would come back with a full email full of like ideas. I love that. I love that. I love that so much. <laughs> well, so speaking about other ideas, so obviously there's listening to that voice within adjusting your lens, getting past that that stuckness of our mindset, which we can't do if we're going, 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 right. We have to listen to that rumble. We have to lean into the discomfort, that type of thing. Um, there's, there's another section where, um, you talk about getting your head in the game and there's a lot of different subsections in there and you have this section of who cares. And what I wrote down, it reminded me that whole section reminds me of when we're armored that we hustle for our worth versus knowing our worth. Right. And so you talk about like you, the arena and the cheap seats and, you know, who are we paying attention to? And so I love that you share this and you were so vulnerable, but you talked about um, a Facebook post that you wrote. And so I want to read this back to you um, because I think it's just, it's, it's so powerful. Cause oh, I was like, yes, rant, rant is probably rant. a better term. Well, a rant, but that's okay. Right. We all do it. Right. Um, but, yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. But you said, you said it was a day that you felt like you were failing on all fronts and was tired of caring so much about how other people saw you. Mm-hmm. And so it was a rant, but I think we've all had these. So I literally, I was like, yes, yes. So it's a little long, but I think it's so powerful. You said, yes, I know I can do it all. I just don't choose to anymore, at least. I have four kids in every sport under the sun with substantial social lives and a husband who loves new adventures. Add building and running a company on top of it, and my plate is full. Every woman and many men that I know feels the same way to some degree. Every now and then, I think we need to throw up our hands and say, who cares? Who cares if my house is perfectly clean? Yes, those are dust bunnies in the corner. Who cares if I missed a sporting event sometimes? I'm building a damn business that I hope will be my kid's legacy. So while I'm not on the sidelines of every game, 
I am continually thinking about their future. They have plenty of supporters who will be there cheering for their team, thanks to those people. Who cares if I can't always go on the school field trips? See reason above. My kids love me anyway. <laughs> who cares if on the weekends, the last thing on the planet I want to do is take a shower and get ready. There were no big galas or social outings for me. I live in yoga pants and a ball cap covering my greasy hair, and I will be sitting on my deck with my love and a glass of wine. And then you, then you say, when I can't do it all, who cares? Who freaking cares besides me? The answer is nobody, at least nobody who matters. The only person who gets to decide what you do and how you do it is you. I literally wrote that Facebook post on my phone in a rant, like not for anybody else, for me, yeah. like, let it go. Yeah. Yeah. Stop. Like yeah. we are doing this to ourselves. The whole book is about, we are doing this to ourselves. Of course we are. Cause we're complete gluttons for punishment. What the hell? <laughs> but I was sitting there, but, it, but you know, when you get in that mode, cause you're like, Ooh, and then you're like, yeah. Like, does anybody like you know, that's why there's like uh, kitchen towels and stuff that'll say good friends. Don't care if your house is clean. They care if you have wine. I mean, you know? right. Right. Which is why you and I get along so well, because we believe that. <laughs> like, yeah, no, but you're right. You get in this, Oh my gosh. You know? And, and I think that, um, you know, I remember when I was on your podcast and you were in years about, you know, what's your superpower. And I remember I struggled with that because I said, I have this legacy of trying to be wonder woman and you can't be all things, to all people. And it's exhausting. And so when I hear superpower, I go, I go to like, Oh, superhero. And it's like, no, like, but anyway, I think that, yeah, like it's more about, we're worried about what they think or whatnot, but I think the people who love us and care about us, I always think about that Dr. Seuss quote, um, you know, uh, oh, what is it? Say, say what you Say what you feel and mean what you say for those who mind won't matter and those who matter won't mind or something like yeah. that, you yeah. know? Right. And we, but at the same time for other people to, to love us for that, do we, we have to love ourselves for that. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's just, and I know you talk about this in your workshop, the comparison piece and what we get ourselves wrapped up in the purpose of the book is to normalize the shit. Can I say shit on here? Oh, good. Of course you can. Okay. Yeah. Um, I said it twice, so I guess I can at this point. Sorry if your kids are in the car. Um, but it's to normalize this because we have to stop feeling like we're broken every time we hit one of these points. Yeah. Male, female, doesn't matter your age. I have right now, I mean, my teenagers are reading this and they're like, wow, like I, this is like really like they feel it too, right? Yeah. At every stage of life, you hit these plateaus, these stuck points. There's nothing wrong with you. That yeah. is my whole message for this book. Well, and I love that you said you're teenagers. Cause I was thinking about, as I was reading this, I was like, oh gosh, my son Peyton needs some of this right now. Cause he's, right. and I get, it's part of the age. It's part of that stage of development, like, right. right? It's normal, but it's the being hyper critical of himself and what are people think? And, and you can't fast forward this. That's the hard thing is you nope. can't, this nope. is a stage of development that you have to go through, but it's how can I try to support him through this? Cause you want to go no one cares. And in 10 years, you're not going to care, but you can't say that as a parent. Right. But yeah, there's so much. Because they have to go through it. But when you go through it, knowing some of these like truths, it's not that we can help you avoid it. Our job is not to help our kids ourselves avoid fearful things, hard things. Our job is to figure out how to get through it the most resilient way. And that's another step forward. And it, no matter what you're stuck on, it could be the smallest thing. It could be the biggest thing is you, we all need reminders, right? In the intro of the book, I talk about 
I went through major head trash around like, who am I to write a book? Like, right. I'm just, a, I literally am a business owner, a mom of four. Like, I'm just like everybody else. Well, that's why I'm perfect person to write this book because I'm willing to put my stories out there to put my failures and my issues and everything I've struggled with so that it can help somebody else. So I'm, mm -hmm. everyone else is just as qualified as I am to write this book because we've all dealt with many of the same things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and who are you not to, right? And I, so right. I always say, you know, when anyone says, well, I'm just a whatever, it's like, we need to get that just out of our right. vocabulary. Thank you right. for the coaching. Yes. I, right. Cause, yeah. you're, cause yeah. you're not just, you're freaking awesome. Right. Every, everyone, like you're not just a mom or just a dad or just a this or just a that it's no, you are you and that's enough. Absolutely. So then that gets into though, so that's actually who knew, but a good transition into one of your other sections, um, because let's be honest, it takes a whole boatload of courage to value ourselves as we are, right? To feel enough as we are while we still work to become a better version of ourselves. But sure. we can be enough and work to get better at the same time. Yep. And so you have a, a whole section on impact through inspiration. And you actually talk about bravery and I love how you describe it. You say, which we all know, bravery isn't comfortable. It's a combination of faith and courage. It's leaning on faith when you need it to muster up the courage to do the hard thing, venture into the unknown or take a risk. And then you say bravery is doubling down on yourself, knowing that you will figure it out and you will handle whatever happens. It requires and encourages you to reject the desire to control everything mm -hmm. and instead see what happens. It will lead to bigger and better things than being right or perfect ever will. Mm -hmm. Tell me how that viewing bravery that way has been helpful and impactful for you. I think it's really helped me. And again, this has evolved, right? My view on bravery versus courage versus, you know, all these kind of interchangeable words. But I just look at bravery as stepping into something when you don't know the answer and you don't know what could happen. Yeah. Right. It's just that it, it could be the smallest thing, you know, that and, and everyone else thinks it's this big thing. But for me, it's taking risk. It's, it's being willing to take a risk on me that even if this isn't right or I'm a little off course, I'll figure it out. Yeah. And that's that faith piece that I have what I need already. I already know the answer. I just got to figure it out, right? Yeah. It's already there. We all search externally for what we think we need. And I just believe, and this is part of my spiritual journey that I'm on is that we already have the gifts and we have, we have what we need. We just have to tap into it. And yeah. most of us don't because we're running at 150 miles an hour. And so bravery to me is just doing something that's unknown or that I'm unsure of. And I have fear around and I'm going to step towards it anyway. Yeah. Well, is that the definition of courage, right? Courage isn't acting um, in the absence of fear. It's acting in spite of the fear. Right. right. And I have a, a quote on my desk at home that I think about every day is that faith is an act of courage. Mm -hmm. Having faith in a fearful moment in a fearful time is, is courage yeah. because you're, you're looking past the fear and saying, my faith is bigger than that, that fear that I see right in front of me. Mm -hmm. I think that's courageous. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think whether it, faith, or I think about too, like it's, it's passion or it's clarity of purpose, right. That also can kind of act as that faith too, to, you know what, 
yep, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I am so passionate about that, that I am going to keep going because that matters more to me right now than my fear. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, what it made me think of as I was reading it is, uh, one, one of the things that Kristen Hadid talks about that I love is she talks about building a resilience resume. And I actually want to start doing this with my son, Peyton, Mm -hmm. and where, where you literally keep an ongoing record, just like you would a resume of your accomplishments, but of the times where you have messed up, you've fallen down, you have failed, right. And the lessons you learn from it, because when you're in that muck, right. You can go, I've gotten through this before. Like you said, I have like, you know what? I have been down before and I found my way back up or I have been set back before and just think about to add on that. And so anyway, that made me think about that. And I was like, I need to start doing that with. That is so fantastic. Everybody needs to do that. That's listening because this book was that for me, it was reliving stories to say, man, that was really hard. And I really screwed up there. Right. Or, but it was that same thing. It was like building my resiliency because I'll tell you, I'm a different person from the point where I wrote this book, started writing this book to now. And I was just thinking about this the other day is I'm like, where did that come from? And I'm like, this book was cathartic for me in that way. And it's because of what you just said. It was Mm -hmm. my resilience resume. Like, holy crap, you're a badass. Like you've gotten through all sorts of stuff. You'll figure this dumb little thing. You're damn straight. You're a badass. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you know, what's interesting you say that because when we wrote our our most recent book, which is now a year old, Rehumanizing the Workplace. And I've said this before, but the publisher kept coming back and saying, you need more of you in this book. And our first book, which I'm really, really proud of, I was having this conversation with my mom on Mother's Day about this, that I'm super, super proud of our first book, but it was more of like a reference guide or a manual from a business standpoint. And the second book blends now the, the person, the individual humanity with the business. And we're telling not just our company story, but I mean, it was like vulnerability. Like I put out here, like, here's the stories I told myself. Here's, here's what happened to me growing up. Here's the crap, you know, here's where I get stuck. Here's my demons, but here's how I work through it. And I, and I did that because I think that we forget, and I love like your podcast and everything you're doing with this book. We forget that when we share our story, it helps foster connection with other people and we see ourselves in other people's stories. We empathize with them. Um, it's brave and courageous to tell our stories because it's vulnerable to do so. But like, to your point, you normalize this stuff and it makes people go, not only does it help you process it, but like it normalizes it, as you said, and we realize, oh, I'm not alone. Or you have a friend that's going through this and you haven't experienced it. And it's a story I tell in here and you can just, you can empathize maybe a little bit better with somebody. And that's, you know, and, and you talk about that, these books that, right? At the very beginning, it was like, is this going to be like a business leadership book or a personal self-help? And there was a part of me that I'm like, it's going to be personal self-help, but why? it's the same because yeah. those leaders are human, Yeah, right? Those leaders are dealing with all of this stuff in the office, outside of the office. And that's where you and I are on the same page is like companies and other leaders need to care about that for their people first. Yeah. 100%. We worry about business results. Yeah. Well, because guess what? You're not going to get the business results if all of your people are showing up, hijacked, armoring up, trying to hide their inadequacies, pretending this crap doesn't happen, looking for a fast forward button rather than leaning into the discomfort. I mean, all of the messiness of being human shows up at work every day, whether you want it to or not. Right. So what if we just cared about people and wanted to connect with them to help them at this level? 
work workplaces would be complete fundamentally different. And there are places that are better at that and leaders that are better at that for sure. And I know you see them in the work you do. Yeah. 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 What if we just cared about people? Hmm. Imagine (laughs) that. (laughs) I'm so simple. Oh, what if our world just care? Yeah. In our world, we just cared about people instead of cared about being right. Oh yeah. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be different? That's a whole nother topic. That is a whole other topic. We could have conversation forever. So one of the other things that uh, you talk about in the section of clearing the fog, I have to tell you literally before, right before we recorded this, I was having a coaching session with, with a leader and who hard time setting boundaries, hard time saying no value from productivity. Like I see this all the time. And because I had just read your book, I said, you do know that no is a complete sentence. Don't you? Love it. See, that's the impact I want to have. I wanted people to use that on other people. (laughs) And and she was like, no, no, it's not. Oh, yes, it is. You can just say no, period. No. (laughs) Right. How hard is it for you to just say no and not justify the heck out of the no? Um, It's gotten better. I'm still not, I have still have not conquered this, right? I talk about this book as a reference manual for me as well, right? To go back. It's because you have those moments. I am a recovering people pleaser, right? Which I talk about in the book. And, you know, I worry that's the, who cares is I worry so much about, is everyone else feeling okay? Everyone else happy, right? The self-care for me, who cares about me? I'll worry about everybody else. And I just got to a point where I literally could feel it coming when someone was going to ask me to be on a nonprofit board or to volunteer for that thing. And I just, I just got to a point where I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Like you literally snap. Yeah. I actually snapped at a PTA meeting. Oh, I, I'm like, like if anyone, you're, you're seen, like, you're like, Amy, what's your face in bad moms? Where she's right. just like, no, no. That's it. I am that I, I'm not kidding. Bad moms came out after that. And I was like watching it with my husband going, oh, that was me. That was me. I, I snapped and I'll tell a story here because I don't really talk about it in the book, but I didn't even think about putting this in the book. Um, but I had this moment where I'd been in the PTA. I'd been actively involved, right? My kids, I was going through a divorce and we were at the PTA. And when I was going through the divorce and started the divorce, first off, you're on an Island. Second off, I had kids that were in late elementary school. And I'm like, well, I've heard there's got to be like groups that they can join because I had heard in the past we'd had these groups where kids could kind of come together with other kids that were dealing with some of the same things, kind of therapy, but they actually had a certified person in there. So I was asking around, they, they didn't have it anymore. And we're talking, I brought it up the PT and they're like, yeah, they cut funding for that, blah, 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 blah. And we talked about it very shortly. And then we moved on. And I was like, and literally the president of the PTA said, and so now we need to talk about the bake sale that we're doing next week. So oh, we've got shit. a lot of gluten free. So we literally transitioned from helping kids in grief and going through divorce right at that really instrumental age to the bake sale. I lost my SHIT. I slammed the table. I said, I cannot be part of this group anymore. Like I'm, it, it was like really dramatic. And I'm like, you guys, I have to, like, I can't. It completely it. was bad moms because it was it about was the bake moms. sale. <laughs> it was bad moms. And I'm not proud of the slamming the table and leaving, but I was just like, I can't, I can't do this, (laughs) but you know, and different people have different points, but it's just that point of like, no, I'm saying no right now to this because this isn't serving me and it has to be a two-way street. Yeah. It has to serve me and it has to serve whoever else I'm trying to serve. And when it's one way anymore, I just, I can't do it. 
Well, and think about how often do we say yes, because we want to please somebody or we're afraid to say no or whatever it might be. And then we're resentful, then we're crabby, then we're, you know, procrastinating on stuff. I mean, if we, if we could start saying yes, when we really mean yes, and start saying no, when we really mean no, there'd be a whole lot of less internal churn and swirl and angst. And that just doesn't need to be. Here's a perfect example. So this is funny. Here's where people can practice it right now is, you know, when you're checking out at the store and they ask you, do you want to donate money to save someone's life or to, you know, save a kid with cancer or whatever? And I say, no, every time I say no, I'm like, God, why do I feel like such an ass? Oh my God. I do that too. I usually say, no, thank you. And I'm like, oh, I suck. But I just, but what I really want to say to that person is, do you have any idea how much money and time I donate to helping causes like this? But I don't. I just say no, because I know now that my time is way more valuable than the person that gave a dollar that I don't even know if it really gets there. No offense to anybody who gives on those. I'm like, I can have an impact. Oh, I have the same thought. I'm like, does it really go somewhere or where does this end up? So practice it because it's saying no, I just say no or no, thanks. Yeah. And I just move on. And now it's like, almost like I'm like, it doesn't affect me anymore. Well, you got to, like you talk about in the book, you have to build that muscle, right? We have, we have to build, we, I always talk about, we have to build the muscle to pause. Like, so I love you use the example of the bicep curl and stuff like anything else, right? The more you practice it, right? That repetition, the more you practice saying no, um, when you really don't want to, and you don't add in all these elaborate, you know, excuses and rational. I mean, sometimes, yeah, you can say, here's why depending on what it is, but sometimes you don't have to, right. And, and I think we forget that. Well, and in the book, I talk about if if you don't feel comfortable with just no, but justify it with something that's real, like no, because I need to focus on my family right now. No one, no reasonable person, if they do have an issue, then you made the right decision in the first place, but no reasonable person is going to say, oh, you should do this instead of your family. Right. right. Or I'm in a really busy season in my business right now. And I just can't give you what I think that deserves. You can say it in a different way where you release guilt and the other person doesn't even think anything of it. We're the ones that think they think something of it. Oh, we do. I know one of the things that I've been practicing because, you know, it's ongoing recovering perfectionist people pleaser, right? I I feel like it's an ongoing lifelong journey. And when I know that I pack my schedule too much, or I'm starting to feel overwhelmed, or I'm starting to get those signs of, oh, here you go again, you kind of are getting back in this pattern is like when I start saying, you know what? I'm really trying to be mindful of um, setting healthy boundaries right now. And I'm at capacity. And most people are like, oh, totally get it. Or say, you know, I, I'm really jam-packed right now and I can meet with you in three weeks, but I really can't do it before that. And most people are like, oh yeah, I, I, I get it. I appreciate you taking the time or nope, totally understand or good for you. I wish I could do that. Right. And, but we run this narrative of, oh, and then when you just hit a point of like, no, and the more you do it, just like building that muscle, I've never had someone come back and tell me to F off or say, you suck or what's wrong with you. They usually are like, wow, that's really cool. And they're probably wishing they could do the same thing. Exactly. 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 Which gets me into there's again, there's a billion sections in here that everyone needs to go out and get. But the the, the last one that I highlighted was just the doing hard things, because let's be honest, life is hard and we have to do hard things. And so you say we build our strength when we feel the weakest and most challenged, not when life is easy, when we are in control or when we are comfortable. Difficult times build our endurance, resilience, grit adaptability, empathy, and perspective. This is strength. 
using various mindsets and muscles to make it through what we think we can't. I just recorded a podcast yesterday that just literally came in. I was like, this is, was on the treadmill running. Don't live for the recoveries. Mm. And I realized even now I'm dealing with this, right? Is when I'm doing a hard workout, I, I literally get on the treadmill at 530 in the morning going, I can't wait till I'm laying on the mat stretching, like just <laughs> to be to the end, right? Like I know I need to do it, right? You get to a certain age, you have to, um, and it was like, as the workout was going, I was just like, oh, just right. Interval training, like just get to a recovery. And I ha- found myself going, I'm living for the recovery for the easy. I'm not living for the part where I'm actually growing and mm. getting stronger. Right. And again, respect the recoveries. The recoveries are needed. Our bodies need them, but you don't live for the recovery. I love that. So that's not even in the book, but that's on the podcast coming out here. I mean, well, it'll probably be out by the time this goes out, but it's just, I had this realization, that, but we all do this because we go to the easy things. Yet when we think back on our life, the times we're most proud of are not any of the easy things in our life. None it's of not hitting, It's not hitting the staples easy button or whatever. Oh, no. yeah. the things I'm most proud of and the things where I was like, wow, I took a turn there, like positively towards the person I was supposed to be was the crap that we deal with, the hard things, the mountains we have to climb. And instead of trying to avoid those, I just want us to take one more step towards them, even when it's scary. Yeah. Well, I think about some of the people in my life that I respect the most and think are just so strong and admire. It's, it's they kept going, even when it was hard and they were falling down. And it's not that they aren't without bumps and bruises. It's they kept going and they they used those challenging times as a catalyst for learning and growth. And, and I think about like with, it reminded me of, there's a, there was a leader that uh, I used to coach and graduate her from coaching and she's phenomenal. And I remember that she had hit a stressful time in her life and she wasn't showing up as a leader. She could at work. There was a lot of personal stuff with like parents dying and just all right. Just life doing what it does. And I don't even remember what it was, but it was where human resources actually had a conversation with her. Like, Hey, we got this feedback and you think you should. So that wasn't like she was in trouble, but it was like, Hey, like you're showing up. It's, it's you're showing up. And at first she kind of cowered and felt horrible and was, you know, in shame and oh my gosh. Da, 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 da. And then they, they said, you know, Hey, you want to work with Rosie? And when I first met with her, she's like, you know, I had to wrestle with this because I could have either like sat in shame. Mm-hmm. And gone, oh, it's a bad thing that I have been asked to work with you, right. or I can look at it as an opportunity. And I, I mean, I loved working with her and coaching her because she took that as an opportunity and it was painful and it was ugly. And the exercises I asked her to do and the things I asked her to look at, but she kept saying over and over what a gift it was and how grateful she was because she's like, I could have gone the other way. And instead, and then she was able to move on to a better role, a C-level role. Like she's thriving because she did not cower when stuff got hard. Right. She stepped towards it with support. Yeah. And we all have people in our corner in those moments. We just sometimes have to be reminded of them. Yeah. hundred percent. Love hundred percent. Yeah. Well, yeah. So there's just so much, like I said, this is like my reference guy. Now it's not, it's not going to go into my big bookshelf. It's going to be my small one. So I can pull it out and go, I need a little Jamieism today. Cause I get my own way too. Lord knows, right. We're human. Right. So, so speaking of Jamie wisdom, so this is the part of the podcast where I want to turn it uh, to you a little bit more, um, not just the book. 
So this is, a, these are questions I ask every single guest. So I know there's probably a lot of them, but what is a self-limiting story that you still tell yourself sometimes and how do you move beyond it when it shows up so you can still show up as a leader in your life? Yeah. So this one, I talk a little bit about it in the book, but this one's like front and center for me again, which is why I'm bringing it up is um, uh, my mom had me at 17. And so we were really poor, right? I mean, just really nothing. And my mom is a self-made business owner, right? She's just an amazing mentor and inspiration for me. But growing up, you know, very focused on philanthropic and, and giving back because we didn't have a lot at the beginning. And so which is an awesome thing to teach your kids. And I'm teaching my kids, but it was this idea of like, be really grateful for what you have and don't want for what you don't have, which is a really good belief and a good lesson to have at an early age. And where I realized about eh, probably six or seven years ago, sitting on the curb um, is that I just, I got to a point where I was limiting myself and feeling guilty. Like I'd flipped to the other side, feeling guilty for what I had for the success that I was building, for the financial success, the business success, the things I felt like I was like, man, I really got it together. Like I'm starting to feel this like success that I'm, I've worked so hard for. And I started to feel myself pull back. Mm. And it was examining that to say, there was nothing wrong with the belief that my mom instilled in me, except for that it no longer was serving me in the same way that it used to serve me. And, and it's an important thing for all of us. I talk about breaking the rules and I just really mean the rules that aren't serving you anymore. And if we're not taking inventory of those, those rules are holding us back in our relationships and being able to be open and be loved in our careers and our businesses and, you know, with our kids. And so I just see this so often in leaders that, that we're letting those rules that we're bringing them with us. And it's someone else's baggage that we're carrying. Yeah. Yeah. I literally have this conversation multiple times a week, whether it's with groups or leaders. And I literally just had this yesterday with a group and we were talking about these narratives that we create in childhood. And a lot of them are self-protection because at that age, all we want is to be loved and belong. And so, you know, we, we create these narratives if something tells us that we don't to try to keep us safe. And sometimes they serve us well, like they motivate us. Like I, I put this in our book, but it's, you know, like I get stuff done and perform and achieve and excel and it served me well. And it was a motivator. And then you hit your limit with it. And you like, so I love that you say like, you know, when it's not serving you anymore, when it's no longer helpful and it's actually holding you back from bringing your full self and gifts into the world and making the impact you want to have, you've got to lean in and, and challenge that. Right. I love that. I love that. So there's probably many of these, but what's one impactful way that you are showing up as a leader, both in your work and professional life, as well as in your personal life these days? Um, I just had this conversation this morning uh, with a client is, you know, I feel like I have stepped the last couple of years. And I think the book is part of it actually, is I have just stepped into my age is probably part of it too. But uh, I've just stepped into my power a little bit into what I know I can do to impact. And so I feel like I am more authentically me. I am more honest with people, meaning for their own good. When we, when I work with clients and kind of showing them the right, turning the mirror and saying, look at this, like, this isn't what you want to be. This isn't where you want it to be or what you want your culture to be, whatever that is. And I really, I don't believe, I know that I'm having an impact because I've stepped into who I actually am, right? For other people, it's having a ripple impact. 
And that's really important to me. And so now it's the constant thing of like, what's the next big impact that I can have? And the book is, is one of those for me. Yeah. I love that. Well, and we, we define leadership as becoming our best fully authentic self so right. that we can maximize our positive impact. And, and so I love that because it's hard to show up authentically, but I love that you're doing that. And I love that you're owning your own power. And as you do that, you give other people permission do. to do the right. same, right? When right. we, when we let our, our gifts shine, right. it, it illuminates it for other people. And I think, I, you know, I think so often we talk about fear of failure, but I think there's just as much of a fear of success. There is. Yeah, there is because of what that comes with and what's it going to mean and what am I going to have to figure out? And it's all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Are you ready to go to the quick question section? All right, let's do it. Okay, here we go. So they start out a little uh, more thoughtful and then they get more fun and silly because that's, that's how I roll. So perfect segue, fill in the blank. Living authentically is bliss. Absolute bliss. Yeah. It's freeing. hundred percent, hundred percent, but you got to do the work to be able to do it. Right. Correct. <laughs> so every it. day, <laughs> every day. Yes. Yes. It's not a one and done. Check the box. When the world is presenting an opening, but you don't feel like showing up as a leader, what do you do? I listen to myself, right? My intuition is never wrong. I've always felt it. I've always tapped into it, but now more than ever, I know if I need to take a step back. In fact, Wednesday of this week, whatever week it is when this gets released, I came in, I told my team, I am in a funk. I am, here's where I'm at. I don't want to have any major conversations today. I'm, I'm dealing with it. it. has nothing to do with any of you. And I need to just contain it. Like I am so self-aware now that I can just declare it and then contain it. So it does not impact other people. Cause that is the biggest deal to me is I don't yeah. want to be that impact on other people. I love that. And I will say we, we have an exercise that we do with teens where they, they check in, we call it the choice line, right? Are you above the line? You're below the line. And we, mm-hmm. we borrow it from conscious leadership group, but, but I love that because we, we train people to say just that, whether you said, Hey, I'm in a funk or to say, I'm below the line today right. so that people don't start making up stories in their head. But it also is like, Hey, right. if this person's going to be quiet or do you need any backup or what? And it's just a way to communicate what we need as a human being, but we've got to be aware that we're there. And so you could have so much collateral damage as a leader if oh. you didn't do that with your team. Right. Right. Oh, love that. Love that. All right. Uh, when's the last time you were courageous and how did you show up? Um, so it was earlier this week and we are walking away from a client. And so as a business owner, right, that it has payroll and, and it was the right thing to do. And it was a situation that I won't go into on here, but the way we were treated and some things that happened and I'm, we're walking away. And so it feels courageous to me because I'm at a place where the fear of lost revenue is not as great as the faith that we deserve to be treated a certain way and that we will find clients that want to do that. Love that. You go. Woo. Awesome. (laughs) I have, I've fired some clients before too. It's yeah. yeah. And so get it, get it. Love that. Not love that you had to, but right. Right. Intentional about that. Right. So what is something that people would be surprised to know about you? Oh, 
Well, mostly that I have four kids, four teenagers that I'm trying to get through life, which in the last year has been a whole battle in and of itself emotionally. And um, most people don't know I've lived in four countries. What else do most people not know? What countries did you live in? Uh, Belgium, the UK, Spain, and the US. Nice. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's something most people just don't know. Okay. That's cool. Well, that's actually a good transition to the next question, which is a great like icebreaker. You could use this with your clients or use this at your next social gathering. It's called the four C's. So if money and reality were no object, yep. what car would you want to have? Mm. What country would you want to visit? Yep. What cuisine would you want to eat? And it does not have to be related to the country. Okay. And then what celebrity living or dead would you want to eat that cuisine with? Oh my gosh. I'm like writing these down like car. Okay. So car. So this is a funny thing is like, I don't have a dream car. Like some people do. My husband and I were just talking about this. I just want it to be convertible and I want to not have to tote kids around anymore. So I want it to be something I want. So my dream car a is two seater convertible sportier <laughs> than what I have now. And it's something that I, yeah, that I actually enjoy driving versus a, you know, a soccer mom vehicle, um, country. So Um, I, my bucket list is the huts over the ocean, literally where your floor is like looking down at the Fiji Bora Bora. They have a lot of different places, but that is on my list. But if that's on mine too, I'll go there with you. I'll get the hut. Let's do a retreat. Um, but you got to go for like two weeks, right? I mean, that's just not something you just fly to the other side of the world for, you know, a week of vacation. That's on my list. Um, cuisine. God, I'm a foodie. I just anything seafood. I am just like sushi all the way to anything seafood. Um, really, really big. And I've always said, I don't cook it very much. I eat it when I go out. That's my, always my choice because it's just, it's, it's hard if you screw it up easily. But if I had a personal chef, it's like all I would eat is just like nice. really healthy seafood. Um, and then what was the last one? A celebrity? So the celebrity living or dead you would eat the seafood with? Simon Sinek. Oh, there you go. He's, he's the person I always, whenever I answer this question, um, and he's just, I align to him and what he thinks. And I think he's just an awesome human. If you haven't listened to his optimism podcast that he released, he just started it this last year during COVID. Um, I just think he's an amazing human. And I think you are the average, right. Of the people that you're around. And so I would just want to absorb some of his awesomeness. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Your favorite go-to movie. Oh, my favorite movie of all time is Dirty Dancing. I've oh, nobody puts baby in the corner. Right. Like it's that empowerment, but like I just told my husband we were talking about a summer vacation. I'm like, I've never like been to a place like in Dirty Dancing, the big white resort that's like out in the middle, you know, where people yeah. come for weeks at a time. I would really like to do that sometime. I love that. I love that. Your go-to song. Oh man, I don't um legendary by Welshly Arms. It's probably not one that a lot of people have heard of, but it like literally, in fact, I'm going to listen to it after this. Like it just jams me up about, right. We're going to be legends and meaning we're going to do big things for people. So that's my big one right now. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go listen to it when we're done. Just so, all right. Your signature dance move. Oh, the running man. <laughs> do you want to see it? <laughs> so much. Yes. Okay. Oh, I'm wearing leggings today. Cause I didn't think anyone was going to see the bottom. Okay. I don't know if anyone wants to see this, but 
Jamie is doing a fierce running man right now. I and then it. I can also do the Roger Rabbit, which is, you know, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Well, we'll, we'll have to have a, we'll have to have a eighties dance move. Uh, oh, next my second workout of the day. I love it. I love it. In another life, your job or career would be. Oh, if I could really, if money was no object, I would just work solely with nonprofits. I would figure out how to solve the nonprofit space in our world, because what I see is a lot of people having passion and starting things up, but we, there's a, I think I read there's 11,000 new nonprofits started weekly in the United States or something like that. It's a crazy number, but what happens is we dilute our impact because of the funding. And I would do something to try to figure out how business and nonprofit can come together, right. To solve some of our biggest societal stuff. That's so fantastic. Yeah. Oh, you'd be fa- you'd be fabulous at it too. What's something, and I say something lightly because it doesn't have to be a thing, but what's something you can't live without? On my Peloton. I literally it sounds I tread in the bike. I go, go, go. And it's I I tried to do the gym thing. I just can't get there. It's in my basement. I have no damn excuse for why I'm not doing it. And I literally couldn't live without it. What's something in your ordinary daily life that makes your heart happy? It's really simple is a one-on-one conversation with one of my teenagers, whether it's in the car and they open up. Cause as those of you who have teenagers or kids at all, there are some days where it's like, they don't want to even talk to you. And then there are days where they're telling you everything that's going on in their life and their friends. And this person did this to this person. I love those moments. Like I literally am like crawling out of my skin to try to be cool because I just want to hear, right. Cause I don't want to say anything. Cause then they're going to be like, mom, Oh mom. Like, and then they'll stop. That's why talking. I don't, that's why I don't say anything to you. Right. So I just like play it cool. Like, Oh my gosh, she's telling me all this right now. Like, this is so cool. Like, yeah. right. I live for those moments. It's so weird, but like, I dream about them. I, I can totally get it. I love that. Yeah. When, <laughs> when my 10 year old starts like telling me and I have no idea what he's talking about, but I'm just like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I'm like, yay. yay. I know. And last but not least, what are you grateful for right now? Um, Oh my gosh. How do you, there's so many things. I'm grateful for the community that surrounds me, meaning you, my family, my team. Like I have spent years, for those of it, when, when you've been in a community, you've been surrounded by people who didn't fill your bucket every day. And then you get to a point where you've weeded them out and you're in that place of like, you're surrounded by people that lift you up on the good days and the bad days. Um, and you have those people that you can call. I just continue to be grateful because I think it's the only way I'm doing what I'm doing and surviving life is by having the community around me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jamie, you know, I just think the world of you and enjoy every moment we spend together. And I am just so thankful for who you are. I'm so thankful for the work that you do. I'm so thankful for you putting out this book for people to be a reference and just sharing so graciously through your podcast and through your work. Um, because I just think the more people that uh, are sharing their lessons and can learn from you, it's just, it's stellar. And if anybody wants lessons on the running man, feel free to reach out to me <laughs> and help. I can't believe I did that on a podcast. Hey, you're going to, you're going to use that video. I know how this is going to work. It could could happen. It could happen. happen. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much, Jamie. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to show up as a leader. 
If you haven't yet subscribed, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. I'm Rosie Ward, and you can find me online at drrosieward.com, where you'll be able to sign up for my newsletter, check out the books I'm reading, and hear from the people I'm talking to. You can also get more information on what I'm up to professionally, including my coaching and speaking services. You can also find me on LinkedIn at rward, Facebook and Instagram at drrosieward, or email me at rosie at drrosieward.com. And I just want to remind you to remember that you have the choice every day to show up as a leader. So choose courage over comfort, embrace your humanity, and never, ever dull your sparkle. Take care, everyone.